Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. On this episode of The Kindness Project, we talk about old people's time for four-year-olds, personal achievements, and part one of the interview with Mike Dixon, author of Our Generous Gene. Hello, and welcome to The Kindness Project. I'm your host, Barry. I'm your host, Barry. <laughs> my name's not Barry, my name's Chris Davis. Uh, but I'm joined by a girl who will eventually support me in old age. It's Barry. I mean, Charlotte. Um, sorry, we, last week we got a bit obsessed by the name Barry. And stuck. It's stuck. We, and then, and that, that Barry obsession <laughs> seems to continue. Okay, well, I'm joined by a man who hates feeling old but responds to old man. That's funny, isn't it, that we've both had... Because yeah. we never know, listeners, what introduction we're going to have for each other. And there are two elderly uh, um, introductions. introductions, which is interesting. So what are you going to help me out in the old, old age then? Stick you in a retirement home. Stick you in a retirement <laughs> home? That's how you help me out, isn't Well, it? I could put you in that old people's home for four-year-olds thing. Oh, <laughs> what a show. What a show that is. Old people, listen, if you haven't heard, uh, listeners, or if you haven't seen Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds... Watch it. I mean, this is a podcast superficially about kindness, isn't it? So, uh, if you are going to watch any sort of TV show that... um, uh, shows how awesome people can be. To BFF Beryl. Um, uh, old people's home for four-year-olds is definitely it. And actually, I think we should do a uh, Kindness Project special all about the, the BFF Beryl. Through, the BFF Beryl. Through, through, uh, well, we talked about Barry. Now we've got Beryl in the mix. Um, i tell you what. If, you, if I change my name to Barry by Depot... And I'll give you permission to change your name to Beryl, would you do? Yeah. I thought you would. Barry and Beryl Daniels, that sounds old, <laughs> doesn't it? Christ. Um, but yeah, old people's home, but we are joking. If Cassie, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Beryl, calm down. Shush, <laughs> Barry. <laughs> the kindest project, hosted by Beryl and Barry Daniels. <laughs> Oh God! Oh, you know what this is a lesson in? Do not record the kindness project late at night when we're both tired. That's just the worst time to do it because the nonsensical level just goes up a barrel of barrel. Just, it's just it, none of it makes sense. I mean, it does make sense the best of times. That's when we're tired. Anyway, Beryl, um, can you can you please? Tell people how they can get in touch with us. Of course, Barry. <laughs> 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 At all kindness. You just At the Beryl Barry show. <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> I life. I want to live. Um, and then you go into Facebook and you slap the kindness project in that magical search bar thingy. Um, and then the the email is ola at the kindness project dot co dot uk hashtag Beryl hashtag Beryl. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, hashtag of the week hashtag of the week we should do a hashtag uh, we should do a hashtag of the week hashtag of the week 
Uh, the hashtag is Beryl and Barry. Right? <laughs> Last week it was just hashtag Barry. This week it's Beryl, Beryl and Barry. Barry. And next week it's Lavinia. And, then, and there's a. Uh, <laughs> are you just gonna? Are you just gonna pick characters from the old people's own four-year-olds and just yeah? Yeah. Right. Next week it will be Victor. Uh, Victor, uh, and then it'll we be are Ken. Not constantly talking. This isn't the <laughs> old people's own four-year-old podcast. This is the kindness project. Okay. But it is a. It is a it's awesome a crack. Awesome. I did have a little cry on Saturday oh, morning when we watched it. Because um, it was it was super, super... Um, We've still got one episode left to watch because there's yeah. only five episodes. Yeah. Um, so, this week's question of the podcast that people can, can reach out to. How do you rename to yourself? To you, Barry, Barry. Or me, Barry. <laughs> yes. And tell us what, uh, what they want to tell us is, what's the personal achievement you're most proud of? How about you? What, Charlotte? Don't ask me this, Barry, I don't know. What's the most personal achievement you're proud of? How about you, Barry? Uh, uh, change my name to Barry, number one. Um, but also, um, I'm most proud of you and Sophie. Oh, and shucks. I am. Have I embarrassed you now? Are you going red? I'm a red barrel. <laughs> I'm an orange barrel. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let us know, listeners, before we de- descend into any more madness. Uh, Too late. What, what, um, uh, what personal achievement are you most proud of? Hashtag Beryl, hashtag Beryl. Hashtag Beryl Beryl. <laughs> let's move on to kindness news. <laughs> is the, uh, is the, <laughs> is the blinking helping? I don't want him to decline the blinking so much. <laughs> uh, it's time for another kindness <laughs> news. Yeah. Is it? Is it? Is it Barry edition? No. Oh no! I want a Barry edition kindness news. Can you? Can you make it? I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Please make another a future edition of kindness news. Barry edition. We've got to have that. It's not Barry edition. So what edition of kindness news is it? It is. Student edition. I'm sure we've had student edition before. Well, apparently there's a lot of student kindness going Is on. Is there? Yeah, there must be. There's not a lot of Barry kindness. Is there any Beryl kindness going on? Nope, I haven't found any. Oh, okay, fair enough. Tell us about the students that are being particularly kind. Okay, so the first one. Riverside County Schools launch kindness campaign. Okay. It's time to... Time to be kind to one another on campus and to count the ways. That's the message behind a new effort from the Riverside County Office of Education. The Riverside County Million Deliberate Acts of Kindness campaign aims to inspire positive school culture by urging schools across the country to help measure one million acts of kindness by students, staff and the community. Many schools already been had such a focus but the initiative intends to promote and share best practices across districts and suggest new ways to mix kindness activities into classrooms and campuses. See I like that sharing what you do to be kind because some people would say the best acts of kindness are anonymous acts of kindness and actually I don't think that's true. Mm. I think if you share the acts of kindness you're doing it's more, you're more likely to encourage <laughs> I've just had a look at that screensaver and it's a picture of me doing the Karate Kid um, you're more likely to encourage other acts of kindness aren't you? Mm-hmm. Oh I've got more Okay, second one. Marshall County High School students mural sends message of kindness. We choose kindness. That's the message students from Marshall County High School want to spread with a new 8 by 12 foot mural. 
Mural. Mural. Mural. The project is, is that the word mural or a cat impression? Mural. <laughs> <laughs> Both. <laughs> the project is student-led. It comes after the tragedy. This. It comes after the tragedy that struck the community when two lives were taken in a shooting in Marshall County High School. Mm. The artists say the three painted hands in the We Choose Kindness mural symbolises people coming together to choose kindness over anything else. I like it. I hope that people can understand that being nice is really easy, project, project creator Hayley Riley says. Riley says she was going through some t- tough times after the unthinkable happened in her own school. Sure about what she went through, but it wasn't enough. She's bringing those words and ideas to life. Riley chose from 60 mural entries, and We Choose Kindness stood out to her. I think that when they see this, they should see the hands stand out. You should hold hands and kind of join all together and be really friendly toward one another. They will mount the mural at the kindness garden with benches to sit at. It will be handcrafted by students. The bench just kind of means if someone sits there, you know, they're having a rough day. You don't have to say anything to them. You don't have to acknowledge it. You just sit there with them, and that person that is going through something knows, hey, they're there for me. Now, I don't know whether they've got that at your secondary school, but they had a bench at your primary school, didn't they, that was like that? I think so. I can't remember. Didn't they they have a bench that suddenly sat there, you could... You knew they were lonely or having at that time and you used to kind of sit down with them? Uh, at secondary school. Was it? Yeah, and it's just kind of, everyone's just, because I kind of just sit there now, people just kind of... I was turning to your bench, is it? The Pied Piper of the Home Church's bench. What can um, I say? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough, that sounds really good. Thanks for that kindness news. No problem. So this week, we've got the first part of our interview with Mike Dixon, cool. who is an amazing guy. Uh, he uh, used to run businesses, he used to run retail shops, mm-hmm. um, and um, retail shops, is there any other kind of shops than the retail shop? I'm not sure. Service shop. shops. Maybe, yeah. A masseuse. Um, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't run a masseuse, I think it was a clone shop. But then he left all that to... Uh, Start a life of adventure. In a masseuse. <laughs> no, uh, for a charity called WizKids, which he built from, uh, from nothing to a really, really big charity. And his life took a turn, and now he writes about... Uh, philanthropy, charity, and there's not that many people who know more about philanthropy and charity than Mike Dixon. The books he's read are amazing, but instead of me talking about it, let's hear our interview with Mike. Cool. Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing extremely well. So we're we're getting together on the hottest day or so far this year. How you fa- found it? It was it. You've just got come back from Scotland, haven't you? Yeah, it was 10, 10 degrees cooler. Okay. In the Highlands of Scotland, which meant that when one landed at Gatwick, it was like you know when you go abroad and you land in somewhere like Malta, and yeah. you off the plane and you go, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's like that coming back to England. It's really hot. Very, yeah. Very strange. Yeah. But I think tomorrow. It's Friday, it's going to be the hottest. And what are you up to tomorrow? Are you sort of standing in the shade? Yeah, no, no. Serial <laughs> meetings all day. Like, okay. You know, and phone calls. Okay. Work. Yeah. But work at a steady pace. Good. Pleased to hear it. Yeah. Now, we, we met a few years ago by accident when you were um, based... I think we met at your office... Um, 
over near Regent Street or something like that. I can't remember. It was, it was in the Haymarket, that's, that's right. right. Um, and I, you gave me a copy of your book, which I read. Uh, if, um, whilst, uh, what, what, when, you sent, when I had a copy of your book, the Kindness Project didn't exist. It was only a new thing. Yeah. But um, since we've recorded a bunch of podcasts now, um, your name popped up on my Twitter feed. And I thought, why haven't I invited Mike on the podcast? Because I've read his book and... Uh, read your new one and it, yeah, it was all uh, he's a perfect guest for this sort of thing um, now I could tell our podcast listeners why yeah. but you're best to so tell us a little bit about you um, a little bit about me well I'm uh, I've never uh, rather strangely I've hardly ever in my life worked for anybody at all okay so when I left school I was I was really um dismal at school. I didn't really understand what was going on at all. But when I left school, I um, got a few temporary jobs, and then quite soon afterwards, I started my first commercial venture in a desperate okay. attempt to make some money. And what was um, the first well, actually, step into that? I was stalled in Petticoat Lane. Okay. At the time, I worked for the economist during the day, but yeah. every weekend I went down to Petticoat Lane and ran a saw. And then I started going to Portobello Road and so on and so on. And then eventually I started a business renting bicycles out to tourists. In okay. Summer, okay. Which, like all businesses, was um, sort of all right and very exciting in the summer yeah. and then not very Quite quiet in the winter. In the winter. Yeah. And then that led on to um, retailing bicycles. And then we had a retail company. Okay. And so I built up a business. Um, but I've never been um, very, I've never been the, if you might call the operational person in a business. I'm very good at starting things, and everything I've started, I've always done succession planning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Always planned to get out the day I start. So, very entrepreneurial mindset, yeah. business growth, not yeah. business continuation. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is, you had the idea for Boris Bikes before Boris Bikes existed, is that right? Exactly. <laughs> Before Boris, I'd know more about it at the time. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just a different mindset. You know, I'm really, really good at starting things. Okay. I've got, I've got very strong nerves and wonderful networks. Okay. And vision and all that. But uh, the more people become involved in it, particularly at board level, I begin to lose the will to live. Sure. And I, you know, for example, one of my own personal rules, I've got several, but is that I never ever go on the board of anything. Yeah. I'm asked about two or three times a month. Yeah. I never go on board of anything at all because I'm just not good at that sort of behavior. Same, same. I, I, I get asked to do this sort of stuff quite a lot and I'm, I'm sort of learning how to say no a bit more because um, uh, I know what frustrates me most of all is death by committee. Mm. So yeah. I don't mind in our little business team where we can take some action, but yeah, as soon as you get too many people involved, getting to stuff done <laughs> to take too long. I've been the chairman of my own board, yeah, but I've yeah. never, I really can't be doing it. I yeah. really do begin to feel like a serial killer after a while. Okay, okay. I can't do it. So every time I start something, two, the two key things. The first is that everything from day one has what, what, what I refer to as monthly management accounts. So I know the difference between dreams and reality yeah. from day one. Okay. Actually. And I also... On day one, I always work out when I'm going to leave. Yeah, yeah. Do you establish that at day one? Yeah, I always get it wrong. Yeah. But at least I do get out. 
What um, uh, is it normally longer than you assume it takes or less yeah. time? It, it is. It always takes about a year or a year and a half, two years longer okay. to get out. But at least I do do it. Okay. And I, and I know it of myself. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. it's not that I'm bad at motivating people and leadership and all that. It's yeah. just I begin to go off the boil yeah. and, and lose yeah. the will to live. It's, like, it, it's interesting when you talk about that sort of stuff because I like the, I think it was Churchill who said that. Um, uh, planning is essential don't expect the plan to be completely accurate because it, everything gets in the way doesn't it so just having that set goal in time is useful even if you don't hit that particular time target just having something in your mind that I'm getting out sometime is useful that's what Stephen Covey said yeah. You, know, yeah. you start with the end in mind yeah. you know what you're trying to do and you just yeah. have to adjust the plot all the time yeah and overcome barriers and reverses yeah, yeah. on the way to getting to wherever you're going. Yeah, seven habits, that is, isn't it? Yeah. You're, you're trying to learn how to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when I start something, the day I start it, never ever occurs to me that it cannot be done. Yeah. Which is very, uh, my wife thinks it's an amazing achievement. Hmm. Have you always had that in you? Has that just been, do you think that comes from parents? Do you think that comes from just some inner self-belief? Are you? I think it's probably learnt street sense. You know, you right. can learn how to be streetwise <laughs> and you finally realise that actually if you have an idea um, to create something, you can create it if you can persuade enough people to help you do it. Yeah, right. If you can't persuade enough people to help you do it, then you're probably not going to be aware of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's having an element of skill to ensure that you bring people along the way, right? Yeah. And did you ever remember that TED talk? It was that wonderful TED film. It was about three minutes long called First Follower. And it was a wonderful... Oh, is it the guy dancing, dancing on a hill? hill yeah. yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Love, love that TED talk. He gets yeah. up and dances on the yeah. hill and everyone goes from there. And then the next bit gets up and dances on the hill. Yeah. And other people think, oh, well, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And they all get up and dance yeah. on the hill. Yeah. And the TED talk's wonderful because it's only three and a half minutes long. Yeah. But it's very true. You know, the leader needs the first follower or followers. But it's about having that bravery to start dancing in the first place, yeah. isn't it? Knowing that there's there's a lot at stake. Yeah. You know, in, it, often it's in your own head mm. more than anything else. But the assumption that nobody's going to dance with you is it's a bit of a scary one yeah. sometimes. Yeah. 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 So I've perfected the art of it. Yeah. yeah. Sort of but it's all about persuading other people to help you do something. Yeah. yeah. And create something. So so. You built a, a retail. You built the um, uh, bike shop. Where where was that? That was in London, wasn't it? London. And yeah. A couple in London and some in West Country. Okay. Okay. But then um, you know we came to the the, the the moment that changes one's life. When okay. I, when I went to um, I went to a drinks party one Christmas and I was challenged to run the London Marathon. Okay. And we. After several glasses of wine, I said, yeah, I'll go and do it. And those were the days when you couldn't just get a place in the marathon. You could only get them through the sponsors. So I said I would run the marathon at the age of 14. 
And um, then I went home, and um, in, on January the 18th, the date in, engraved in my brain forever. Okay. It shows you how long ago it was. There was a fax came through okay. from the then corris- athletics correspondent of the Sunday Times who said, um, this is a training schedule for the London Marathon. It's in 12 weeks' time. You need to go and run. Okay. And I was absolutely horrified by this because I've been been basically caught out, you know, I, yeah. I, I've been uh, called. Yeah. So I phoned a friend of mine, and to cut a long story short, we started training to run a marathon, and um, before we actually ran the marathon, we'd only ever run six miles. Okay. Pathetic. <laughs> but two, two weeks before, I'd seen a little girl go into my one of my shops in Covent Garden, and she was in a powered wheelchair, which meant that the back of it was a bit like a bumper car, and the front was like a forklift truck. Gotcha. And she pressed the seat on this button on the seat. The seat went up. She bought something. And then she put the seat down. And then she whizzed off around Covent Garden, and I remembered seeing it. And I thought, well, if you're going to run 26.2 miles or something, you might as well try and do it to help her child who can't move at all yeah. move yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to do something mildly heroic yeah. and active yeah. to help a child who couldn't move move yeah. so anyway I rang up the uh, manufacturers and I said to them um, you know we need a disabled child I've never met a disabled child before in my life and, and uh, they said well we have a girl who has cerebral palsy and she's just been let down and she's, uh, she could do with a power wheelchair. So I said, how much are they? And they said, well, they're three and a half thousand pounds. And I said, so where, where is this child? And they said, Lincoln. Okay. And I said, Lincoln? Don't you have any children in London? And they said, no, no. no. <laughs> have you got any local no, kids? Local kids. So, yeah, just awful. And so I got on the train, I went up to Lincoln, and I met this little girl, who was then a little girl called Sammy. And uh, she had cerebral palsy, so she has, uh, severe speech impairment, she couldn't move on her own, she lived with her grandmother, and I was profoundly moved by her, so I asked for a picture and came back to London, and we sent out a picture of Sammy, with a little thing saying we're all going to run Mm. Sammy, to all our friends, and by the time we got to the start line, we'd raised... um, about nine thousand pounds. Okay, great. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so we set. End enough for the chair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we set off into the distance with very little idea of what we were doing at all. And okay. six and a half hours later, I got okay. there. Uh, I did. So I did my first marathon yeah. last year. Um, I did. I did Paris, um, and um, uh, I I was super slow. I was sort of five forty something like oh, that. Um, and you know what? I, I think anybody who does it, regardless of what time, it's a it's a challenge, isn't it? It's yes. a super super achievement. Um, the interesting thing for me was um, I was expecting Paris to be like London, and the Parisians are just way too sophisticated to worry about these guys running around yeah. uh, their city. Uh, uh, it was funny because I um. I've told this story in the podcast before because it's one of my favourites. But I got 
got sort of 40 miles in uh, and I was so slow I had the sort of I had my wife and, and, and girls at mile 18 phoning me and going there's a guy with an Eiffel Tower on his head just gone past are you anywhere near yet or there's a guy with a tutus just yeah. right so all the fun runners are faster than me yeah, yeah. Um, but there was a guy who wanted to cross the road and he had his um, uh, bag of shopping in one hand and a baguette in the other um, and uh, he started waving the baguette to try and block, sort of knock these because he wanted to cross the road to try and get these runners out of the way so I just had this you know this little vignette in your mind uh, came back uh, first client I saw said uh, he said to me how was the Paris Marathon I said yeah it was really good um, but I almost got a Attacked by a man with a baguette, and he said, "Could you make that sound any more French?" <laughs> and I don't think I could, to be honest. But certainly that, uh, certainly that experience. I mean, I cried at the end. Okay. You know, just yeah. getting there was was um, something I loved, um, uh, and just having that sort of drive to do it to help somebody. I, yeah. I suppose, yeah. I suppose, help with that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, would you ever do it again? Would I, you? I did. Yeah. Oh, I did. okay. Uh, one year after we did this ridiculous thing, okay. Uh, well, in, in, we ran it in where it is April, and then we a group of us went and did the New York Marathon. Okay. And then in the following April, one year after we ran the marathon, we founded Wiz Kids as a charity. Okay. Um, and now it's over 25 years old, and it's taken, as I've told you once, it's taken over 100 million pounds yeah. and helps over 20,000 disabled children who can't move. It's incredible. It's amazing. Yeah. So it was a thing that um, so it made a difference to Sammy's life. Yeah. It completely changed mine. Okay. I became much less objectionable. Okay. Really quite normal and humbler. Okay. Little bear, and um, starting the whole charity and watching the good that other people could do for other people. Okay. It was the first realisation that actually if you did something to help somebody else, i.e. you were generous to mm. another person by giving them a power wheelchair or whatever, yeah. um, that actually you felt much better about life as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You benefited the, uh, benefited the person who did the fundraising and the help mm. and also the person who was the recipient. Yeah. So one one of our uh, one of our guests on the, uh, that's been on the podcast is a guy called uh, Dr. David Hamilton, and he, he wrote a great book called The Five Side Effects of Kindness. And certainly, there's plenty of sort of quite a substantial body of evidence to say that kindness is quite selfish because yeah. <laughs> because it is it does give you a positive feeling and um, and 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 helps you in a bunch of different ways. So I com- I completely get that. I think, I think yeah. it's, it's, not, it's selfish is probably the wrong word. The bottom line is it reminds you that you're supposed to be a human being helping yeah. people. Yeah, 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 yeah. You do feel a lot better, yeah. but it taps into your inner proper self. Yeah, yeah. Particularly if you're spending your life yeah. disappearing up your own yeah. backside in doing something you know, really fatuous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remind, some, several people said to me that helping, raising money to help a disabled child move that couldn't move was the best thing they'd done all year. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So I think it reminds people actually, and it, and it taps into the natural human generosity and kindness, yeah. uh, which is blanketed by the stresses and the strains of everyday life. Mm. So do you think life gets in the way of people being kind? Um, I think um, 
But it can do, and it does. Um, you know, I've witnessed it in enough cases to write another book about. Mm. But um, the, the numbers of acts of kindness and generosity mm. in the country, in the UK mm. today, will undoubtedly run into millions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, whether someone is looking after your father with Parkinson's yeah. disease, or whether someone's looking after a disabled child, or whether the nurse is saving your, you know, doing some operation for your doctors or teachers, you know, this, the, the, the fire service. I mean, um, you know, literally millions of unrecorded, mm. unmentioned acts of kindness yeah. going on as we're doing this. So yeah. it's not like um, something. Yeah, it's 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 uh, widespread. Mm. People are doing it all the time. Yeah. The only reason you don't do it uh, as much as you would like is, or you don't help people as much as you would like, is become you because you become either stressed out of your own mind, mind about your own life, or you become really, really uh, you know, cut off when you're attempting to make a lot of money or achieve something. Gotcha, the focus is elsewhere. Do you think people take those small acts of kindness for granted then? Do you think sort of they they sort of don't sort of they don't think those small acts are important when in actual fact they are? No, I think that when people um, when people are on the receiving end of small acts of kindness and when people are doing it, it's sort of, um, it's like an aha moment, yeah. you know? So, yeah. you know, one of the, in one of the talks that I've done, I've talked about the importance of, um, so the two things that make you happiest in life, and I've done lots of research into happiness, um, are your relationship with your family and friends, and your, those relationships, and also yeah. your contribution to the lives of others. Yeah. So we get people to... Um, think about all of their friends and all their families and to write down the and to remember and, and find out how they are. So, you know, how are they at work? How are they at health? You know, mm. Are they well? Are they not well? You know, have they got a job? And, all that sort of thing. and, um, and then when they've done it all, we say to them, well, ring them up. Yeah. Go and see them. Have a coffee with them. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and to use another expression, wasting time with friends is not wasting time. Mm. You know? mm. So when people stop and they think about their friends and they think about their family and they remember that you know someone has been very ill or someone's just lost their job, yeah. then they pause and they go out and yeah. reach out to them. And the people who reach out, who reach out to, feel um, there is somebody alongside who cares. Gotcha. Yeah. So good. So um, you um, you involved with the charity. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened next? Um, well. Um, did you get did you get to a stage where you you got itchy feet again? Was that the sort of? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> as, as it grew and grew, I realised that you know there were more and more board meetings, and these were people that you know I didn't ask to come and join me, but there were about sixty people, and the incomes about four million pounds. But I, I actually had to spend one day every month, um, and I told everybody this. I had to spend it with a disabled child and a handicapped child and their family yeah. because it reminded me of why yeah, it keeps you grounded right yeah, yeah. I actually had to go out of my way to do it and I had to put it in the diary mm. and I thought this has got well, Too much. well beyond a joke mm. and I need to yeah. out. so I resigned from the board but the board were 
fabulous, fabulous board of trustees who I'd appointed. So the first time I, I resigned and said, okay, I've done enough of this, I need to get out and do something mm. else. They all refused to accept my resignation. Okay. I had to go back and do it again the following month. Okay. And then after that, it took me a year to get out. Okay. And there's an even happier ending because there were 430 people applied for my job. It was a quite high profile job. Yeah. And it got down to the last six, as always did. And, and one of the six was a very favoured candidate. Okay. And on the week of the interviews, he dropped out. And so they put in another person. Right. And that person got the job. And that person still has the job. Okay. It's called Ruth Owen. And she's in a wheelchair. And she was, she had polio from a very young age. And we brought up in, in very difficult advantages, you know, disadvantaged circumstances. She'd made some money. And now she wants to give back. Gotcha. So we were handing over a charity that we'd started to help children in a wheelchair to a chief executive who herself was in a wheelchair. Yeah. And she couldn't have been less like Mike, you know, Mike full of, you know, charm and bullshit. And right, right. But, but really fabulous woman. And somebody who understood the impact, right? You know, yeah. Somebody, yeah. And a great ambassador for the yeah. children. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, so she's, and she's still chief executive. We still Love meet it. every now and then. And, you know, it, it was almost like supposed to happen. Okay. A man finds, a, you know, starts charity and it has over somebody who is in a wheelchair. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and no, I love it. Absolutely love it. So I know you moved on to uh, uh, to to do other things, and one of those things was uh, uh, you wrote a couple of books. Which I wrote the first one? Yeah, uh, I wrote a book about generosity. Please um, take one. Um, so please take one, which is a book you gave me when we first met, and I read, I loved, um, and I've uh, I've I'm halfway through our generous gene, so I, I'll, I'll uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying that. But tell me about the work you do now. Um, well, um, <clears throat> again, about fifteen years ago, um, met this amazing, lovely man called Charles Handy, who's a management brewer, and he described. He came to our house one day um, to meet my wife with his wife, and they described how they lived. And every year, they work out how much money they need to earn, or okay. how much want to earn. Okay. And then they divide their life into three. And one yeah. third of it, um, Charles works and um, or, or worked and got paid. And one third of it, he wrote books about yeah. management. Yeah. And one third of it, he did pro bono work yeah. for other people. So to cut a long story short, we started doing the same. Okay. And so every year we work out how much money we want to earn. Yeah. This has taken us through you know, the inevitable school fee crisis and everything else. And then we uh, work out how we're going to earn it, which in our case is by advising companies and families how to engage with charity. Yeah. Philanthropy. Yeah. And then we stop. Okay. And we do something else. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, one year, two years ago, we wrote this book, Our Generous Gene, which we managed to force up to the top of the Amazon bestseller list. Awesome. And then um, last year, we organised this conference on the future of okay. education, the environment, 
um, health and medicine and work. Okay. And, and, the, and the organized conference for one of our clients is a private bank. But the significance of the choice was that it meant that we learned yeah. a lot about those subjects. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I learned a lot about the future of the environment, yeah. the future of work and so on. So uh, it's what we call, um, and Charles coined the phrase, maximizing your life not your income yeah 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 so you know in, in plan a is to create a business um, that uh, encourages uh, companies and philanthropy and all that sort of people to give money away and have a business and have an office mm. and have lots of people helping you do it and plan b is just to do five or six a year yeah yeah, yeah. Stop and do something yeah. else. Just ensure you've got enough instead of mm. instead of worrying about what you can achieve yeah. by working full time. And every year we add twenty percent, you know, because we get it wrong. Mm. You know, so yeah. you know, the amount is the amount is not really the issue um, because you know some years you have quiet years, some years you have yeah. busy years. Yeah. And um, you know, so for example, next year we're going to this year. Just gone by, sorry, last year in December, we went to Bhutan. We okay. were invited to Bhutan to study happiness. Okay. The year before that, we went up the Amazon. Okay. The next year, we're going to Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. So it gives us time to do the sort of things we'd like to do, mm. but work on the way. So when we went yeah. up the Amazon, we went to visit um, indigenous tribes. Mm. We went to yeah. Bhutan, we studied happiness. What did you learn about happiness in Bhutan? Well, Bhutan measure there. Uh, what we call GDP, they call they do, don't they? Yeah, they do. So they have four ser- serious measures of, ha- uh, of happiness, and uh, because they ask their population, there's only seven hundred thousand people in Bhutan, which mm. is the size of Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, years ago, uh, they asked the population what their priorities were in yeah. their lives, yeah. and so for example, one of them came was the environment and so now they are um, they're, um, carbon positive mm. you know, the whole country mm. earns money from it and it's uh, and a huge part of it is a protected area yeah, yeah. you can't build a house over five stories and all this sort of thing you know. so they now measure the success of the country by the happiness of the population do you think uh, so I'm a unashamed idealist uh, I, I tend, yeah no, I, th- I think so so I tend to live my life through a um, uh, I, I joke that uh, I've got like this lens of um, sort of rose tinted <laughs> I always try and look for the positive do you think that's do you think that, that could be done in a country like the UK do you think we'd or is there too much political pressure to keep the aspirations in the status quo could we change in that in that in that way could we look at what makes people happy because if you ask most people they'd say I want to be happy wouldn't they well I think they would but I think it's it's very different like in Bhutan it's a very uh, Buddhism is like embedded in yeah. the country yeah, yeah. they all wear traditional dress they have a king and a queen um, but they also have a government the king's 35 or something okay. 28 okay. it's a it's a kingdom yeah. it's like something out of a, yeah. a real novel yeah. 
Um, and it's yeah, small. And, and it's small yeah. and they can get around it and they can do these things, which they can do in smaller countries. Yes. But you know, the state that this country is in at the moment, whether whichever way you look at it, yeah. it's pretty dire. Okay. And in, whether it's the political situation or the, the unbelievable poverty or the cuts. You know. So I think uh, to... You, the gross national happiness in the UK would be an extremely yeah. uphill struggle. But it's not least because of media. But that doesn't mean to say that... We should try. Yeah, it doesn't mean to say you can't encourage people. As mm. I said earlier on in the interview, there are probably a couple of million people as we speak now helping other people. Mm. Yeah, right. Today. Yeah, yeah. This second, yeah, not today. Yeah, this yeah. second, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're doing uh, wonderful things. With, and yeah. and um, so I think it's innate. I think to try and get it through the... The deviousness of the media yeah, and the yeah. parliamentary system yeah. would be... It's Pretty tough. Oh, yeah, yeah. almost a nightmare. It's, it's interesting. I when, when, sort of, uh, when the subject of happiness comes up, I always find my eyes, not looking to Bhutan, funny enough, but looking to places like Denmark and sort of other Scandinavian countries that yeah. are often at the top yeah. tier of, of, of happiness. And certainly they're probably more... Cl- Economically, I know the tax rate to higher, and there's differences in that con- in those countries. But certainly, I look at that and go, "What do they do so well that we could still, as a relatively Western country?" And I think there's plenty of ideas that the Scandinavians, particularly the Danish, do that we could potentially use. So, uh, G- our generous gene, um, what do you think that? Uh, people need to do to engage and inspire their own generous genes? Well, I wrote the book, you know, because obviously Dawkins wrote the book called yeah. The Selfish Genes. Yeah, yeah. And he made a lot of money out of it, and I thought it was nonsense. And to be fair, I mean, he, even he couldn't define why people did generous things. Yeah. So he could never explain why people give up their lives and dive into a river to save his child. Mm. So he, he, didn't, he, he got a bit of a bad press for it. But anyway, I believe that people are fundamentally generous because I've seen it happen. I've seen this going on yeah. all, all the yeah. last 35 years of my life. Yeah. And so... I think I, Dawkins was talking about from an evolutionary yeah, perspective yeah, yeah. as opposed to a personal one, though, he, wasn't it? Yeah. He, he was talking about how the, the theory of evolution yeah, yeah, yeah. the fittest. Yeah, yeah. But he couldn't explain, and, and, he, and he admitted this, he couldn't explain why people would go out of their way to be kind to people. And he... He eventually decided that it was because a man was a, a rational person. Yeah. As they could think through, they could change their okay. behaviour. Okay. But anyway, um, so we, we wrote this to say, well, actually, everybody's naturally generous, and they should be given a chance to do it, and we give them stories and yeah, encourage yeah. them. And, yeah. and um, you know, I, I'm often asked what are the most generous things that you know, I think anybody can do. And I I think there are are two things. The first is, you know, giving your time to anybody. So, you know, giving your time to anybody. I remember a man called Satish Kumar, who's a wonderful activist. He used to be a Jain monk. And he said to me when I asked him about generosity, he said, um, I, always, I always see everybody, you know, I might 
can't see them at the time they want to see me, but I will see anybody. I have a, I have a 24 hours a day. I can meditate, I mm. eat, I can sleep, um, and I will see every, everybody, mm. you know? And I think giving people your time is, um, or spending time with people, coming alongside them, for want of a better expression, empathy, yeah. showing interest in other people, is uh, a really seriously a positive way of being generous. Yeah. So that was our first part of our interview. What oh, you yeah. It was good. Yeah. So we've got the second part next week, and we'll hear a lot more from Mike where he shares his expertise. Yep. It's my oh. child now. <laughs> <laughs> right, what are you doing with that mic? Focusing the mic. I'm adopting the mic. <laughs> right, get, get away from my mic. It's a shared mic. I'm adopting it. Do not hog the mic. I'm adopting it. Okay, well, what are you going to call it? Is it your new baby? Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Barry, the curse of Barry and Beryl strike again. I don't think we're ever going to give up on Barry and Beryl, do you? No, Barry, we're not. No, 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 I don't think we are, Beryl. Anyway, tis the end. Tis the last final moments. <laughs> but we have got... we got more. We, there's no point for crying. We've got more. Yeah, we've got more. We'll come, oh, we come back every week. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but... The end is never the end, because we always have last week's question of the podcast answered this week. Well put. And we've got a bumper mailbag. Um, mailbag. mailbag. Comment section. Comment section of people um, answering last week's question, which was, if you could fly for one day, what would you spend the day doing? And that one just went, I'd fly. No, Matt. I didn't mean that. So I went back to him and went, specifically, what, what would you do? Uh, and he said, would love to see some amazing landmarks from the sky. Tasman Kane said she'd fly from city to country, town from the sky is amazing. Uh, she was lucky to be taken out flying in a Cessna a few years ago and loved it. Patrick Floyd said he'd visit Machu Picchu, the Atacama Desert, parts of Southeast Asia and it'd fly above the pyramids, far above all the all the human detritus. De- is that how you say that word detritus? But what I think what he means detritus. is if you look at if you look at the pyramids from the ground, you can see a big McDonald's there and there's loads of rubbish that floats around. Mm. Whereas if you're looking at it from above, you probably don't see the rubbish floating around. Probably still the, still see the KFC or the McDonald's or wherever it is. That. Bright colours they use. Karina Murray said she'd see all the natural ones of the world. And Russell Davies would... I'd probably wanted to visit the Amazon. So I've always wanted to visit the Amazon, so I'd probably do that. I don't know whether he means Amazon or the Amazon, but... Oh, I'd like to visit the Amazon, Amazon store. You'd like to visit the Amazon warehouse? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's one near us, I can just... Get bus. <laughs> so that would be a complete waste of your flying talents, then, wouldn't it? I'd probably just saw the sky and watch the sunset and watch the birds. On top of the Amazon warehouse. <laughs> um, John P- the Cook, pigeons been John a lot Cook, of time up there. If he could fly, he'd sit in his sofa and, in his pants, apparently. <laughs> and uh, Jackie Bishop would say, uh, would she carry on walking? She wouldn't fly at all. Uh, Angelus. J. 
Georgiakis, which I've probably pronounced really badly, said he'd fly to New Zealand. Two of his friends who travel a lot absolutely loved it. So um, I'd say New Zealand. Uh, Robert Pender would waste his use of fine by standing and watching TV. And Mm. our mate Charlie Goodman says, how fast? If it was fast enough, I'd pack in as much as the world as possible. Hanging out with old friends in China, Dubai, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, France, Sweden and the USA. That is a busy day. Mm. That is a busy day. Carolyn Ball, new entrance to the show, said, assuming I could fly quickly and low to the ground, I'd write millions of positive quotes from wonderful people on bright biodegradable paper, attach them to mini food parcels with allergen info and then sprinkle them all over the world. The power of encouragement, kindness and delicious food. It's quite nice, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like Benedict Wright said, I'd probably just go and visit Father Christmas for the day. See what all the fuss is about. <laughs> up, all right, quick boat. what's all the fuss about? Uh, and Planica really liked this one because she constantly dreams about flying and usually it's around mountain tops. She can't think of anything better than soaring majestically in the clouds with the birds. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it does. I'd like to do that as well. And Amy Rowe would head to the Highlands of Scotland. Scotland. Yeah, that was really good. Scotland. Scotland. Scottish. It's been a murder. Um, murder. Uh, and she'd go from Scotland. castle to mountain and probably follow a river or two. Mm, so people were really inspired by that question. I love the imagination. Nobody tried jumping out of windows. No, <laughs> so which is good. Um, and that, my friends, is definitely it for another uh, episode of The Kindness Project. We'll see you next time. Bye.